In nomine Patris et Filiae Spiritus Sancti. Amen. We pray this morning for the intercession of St. Louis de Montefort, who fostered true devotion to our blessed Mother Mary via the Rosary, as well as a number of holy martyrs, St. Aphrodisius, Theodora, Didymus, Peter Hugh, and John Baptist Thon from Vietnam, and Mark of Gal- Galilee. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Pax Christi and Christus Resurrexit. Alleluia. I hope and pray that the last week has been a week of celebration and joy and hope and perseverance, refreshment, revitalization for our Savior is risen. And we can feel that palpable excitement today, as well as 2,000 years ago from that first reading where the apostles were performing signs and wonders among the people. Great multitudes were converting and coming to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that the sick were carried out so Peter's shadow could be, could be cast upon them. That's pretty powerful imagery. That said, Mother Church knows that we need balance. So she also tells us the fear the apostles and many others still had after Jesus' death and resurrection. We heard from the Gospel of John, which by the way does not change on this day the second Sunday of Easter, Divine Mercy Sunday. From year to year, most Gospels change on a three-year cycle. This Gospel of John is the same one each year. And so this reading where all the apostles are gathered together, except for Thomas, of course, since it's the same each year, we would do well to examine it closely. What is Mother Church trying to give us year after year? So what do we find in the Gospel of John today? The apostles were together in fellowship on this first day of the week, Sunday. This is an Easter gospel, the octave of Easter, the Easter gospel. And what are we all here doing this morning on this first day of the week? We're gathered together in fellowship, awaiting the Lord. So the apostles are gathered together, but one of them is missing. Similarly, As we're gathered together here this morning, many are missing. I heard a statistic recently. I have no idea if it's true or not. You know, the whole saying about statistics. Showed the biggest religious group in Slayton is Catholics who do not go to Mass. Even if that's an over-exaggeration or complete falsehood, I imagine that every single one of us in here knows of a Catholic who does not go to Mass. And here we have from the very beginning of our faith, literally one of the first days that Jesus appears after being crucified. The group of faithful gathered together in fellowship waiting for him to appear. And he will appear for us on that altar right there in just a few moments, just as he appeared to the apostles. Yet many are missing today, just as one was missing back then. That's a strong correlation that we'd be remiss not to notice. And even more remiss not to act upon. We must go out and invite other disciples back here. Back to church. Back to mass. Friends, family, strangers. Pope Francis speaks of the evangelization of the human heart. And that starts with us here in this building this morning. You see, it's very easy for us to be... For, it's very easy for a disciple who does not meet with other like-minded individuals to become like... Thomas, Didymus. Again, here we have an example from the earliest days of the church. 
where Thomas refuses to believe that the Christ Jesus is risen until he sees it with his own eyes and physically unites his body with the body of Christ by touching the wounds in his hands and his side. I'll say that again. Thomas refuses to believe that the Christ Jesus is risen until he sees it with his own eyes and physically unites his body with the body of Christ. The body of Christ. What do we call ourselves? This assembly, this congregation. Indeed, the entire body of Catholic Christians in this world. The body of Christ. We ostracize ourselves when we miss Mass and make it more difficult for ourselves to believe in the Savior and in, therefore in salvation. That's why it's such a serious mortal sin for us to intentionally miss Mass. Mother Church knows this. She knows that we need to be together in fellowship and worship. And furthermore, when we deprive ourselves of the opportunity to physically unite our bodies with Christ Jesus in the most holy body and blood, we make ourselves like Thomas. He had to have physical reassurance that Jesus was truly present. That's also why we must be in a state of grace, having gone to confession and confessed all mortal sins, including missing Mass, before receiving communion. We are uniting ourselves with the body of Christ in the Eucharist, And the body of Christ, this community of believers. If we've pushed ourselves out of that community through mortal sin, we must be reunited and reconciled before entering back in. If all these words sound familiar and interrelated, it's because they should sound familiar and interrelated. Community, communion. Body of Christ, most holy body and blood of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation, confession. These concepts were not just made up at some point in the last 2,000 years. They existed from the very beginning of our faith and are indeed the foundation upon which our faith rests. Oftentimes I feel like we're, or I am, up here laying a guilt trip on myself or maybe on you guys, maybe on especially first row people. I feel like we're laying a guilt trip on ourselves, beating ourselves up about our deficiencies, especially in how poorly we practice our faith. At least I do. But from that, we should extract, extract hope and therefore joy because this is the human condition. Peter and the apostles were scared, but motivated. Thomas doubted, but came to believe. We have all the tools necessary to be saints like the apostles. The Word of God made flesh, the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrifice of the Mass, the most holy body and blood of Jesus Christ. We have all the same tools that the apostles had, and they were so committed, so dedicated, and so motivated to share the good news of salvation that they all died. They were all martyred. That is some commitment. The reason I started the homily this morning asking for the intercession of a number of saints is because they're all martyrs from Egypt, from Vietnam. Today is their feast day. They show the unbroken line of commitment 
to our faith that many have had throughout the last many centuries. Martyrdom exists today. Countries like Nigeria and Sudan and Sri Lanka. Hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of Catholics are murdered for their faith on a daily basis and then promptly ignored by the rest of the world. Good example, Sri Lanka is already out of the news. Even though our brother Catholics are still dying of their wounds. Nigerian Sudanese Catholics have been dying at the hands of their Mohammedite aggressors for years now. And on the odd occasion when I come across a news story about it, I can't help but ask myself if I would die for my faith like these guys do. That's a good question to reflect on today. Would we die for our faith, for our belief in Jesus Christ? We, like Thomas, physically unite ourselves with Jesus Christ when we receive communion in a state of grace. Is that enough for us to believe so deeply, so fully, so completely that we would give up our lives to defend it? Do we believe that that most holy body and blood of Jesus Christ is present with us right now in the tabernacle and will be present with us on the altar at the consecration? Do do we believe it so fully that we would risk our lives to be in its presence? I hope so. And I hope each one of us can answer, yes, my Lord and my God, I believe when the time comes. In nome de Patris e Filhos, Espírito Santo.